Good morning. How are y'all doing today? We are glad you are here. This is like a great crowd. Thank you for not being afraid of the rain. You know? Yeah. I, thank you very much. Because you know how bad this are. You know, it's too hot, too cold, snow, rain, whatever, you know. But you guys are faithful and we're glad that you're here. Had a good crowd in first service also. And we will welcome our first Facebook. Let's give our Facebook crowd a round of applause. Yeah. We are glad that you guys are going us that way. And, of course, 102.3 FM on the radio. Thank you for this. The family of God comes together. We are very, very grateful for that. Well, listen, this is the last week in our I Love series, um, sermon series. And the idea being, remember, I Love Lucy. Lucy was kind of crazy, driving you nuts. Same time, you love her to death. You didn't know whether to marry her or not to marry her. But it was life. It was just Lucy, and we discover that life is like that. Sometimes the people we bump into life, they're crazy. They drive us crazy. Um, sometimes we love them to death, and sometimes we don't. So what do you do with all of that? And we want to talk about that this morning and the idea and the framework of civil war. It's found from the James, I think it's so cool, James the half-brother. How would you have liked to have been the half-brother of Jesus? I mean, imagine having a brother that never messed up. Never messed up. I know some of y'all feel like, well, they're the, they're the firstborn. They never mess up. Or they're the baby of the family. They don't mess up. Well, I am the, the last, the baby of the family, and we don't mess up. It's just the way it is, okay? That's just the way it is. But anyway, so imagine being the half-brother of Jesus, James, and we're going to let him talk to us today. And then also, we're going to let Paul speak to in our lives about this idea, this concept of civil war. Now, of course, we're all familiar, most of us are familiar with the Civil War period of 1861 to 1865. It was a terrible time as the nation was torn into um, state, fought against state, county against county, family against family, and sometimes even brother against brother. It's an amazingly horrible time. And here's what's really amazingly horrible is the number of casualties in that war. Um, back in 1889, they did a study you know, to try to analyze the war and how many people actually died in the war. And the number they came up with was 620,000 combatants. Not civilians, not the kids that were playing in the wrong place at the wrong time. 620,000 soldiers died in the Civil War. And that's, and that's from combat, accidents, starvation, you know, um, what was the last? Always realized disease, okay? But 620,000. But it gets worse. They did a study later on, around the eight, 1980s, somewhere in there. They reanalyzed and they realized that that number was terribly low. Terribly low. Most likely, 750,000 men died in the Civil War. And you can total all the wars you want to, and nothing comes closer than when our country fought against itself. And that's just the way Civil War is. Now, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. You know, you understand, you remember back in Genesis, okay, when, you know, when Cain and Abel went to war, actually Cain declared war on Abel. He was jealous because, you know, you know Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't, so it became jealousy, and they declared war, and he declared war on Abel and killed him. So it's nothing new. And if you look through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, you see it over and over again of times of civil war, brother fighting brother, family fighting family. You know, and that's the crazy part. You know, are, are, Dwayne, is there civil war in a church? Absolutely, there is. There's always division as brother turns against brother and sister and sister. But the crazy thing, that's not all. So often it's family against family. Within the family, there's turmoil and fighting. Husband fighting wife and wife fighting husband. 
That's the parameters of civil war. So it's a huge problem, but it's an ancient problem that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. So we want to look today, and we want to see what James says about civil war, and how can we deal with it? What should we do with it? Now, now this is one time I'm going to tell you up front, there is a test. There will be a test at the end of the sermon. But don't worry, I'm not ministering it. Your circumstances will. Your circumstances will. Because, see, this is, not, this is not a problem for 5% of the church. This is not a problem for 50% of the church. This is a problem for every person. At some time or another, each person declares civil war. And you're going to see what I say about that, why I say that is true in just a few minutes. So it's a problem for everyone. And if you're not in a civil war right now, you will find yourself in one. Perhaps you can look back and go, oh, yeah, I remember this time in my life when I was at war with someone else. So it's a problem for all of us, and that's why it's so appropriate that James wrote about this. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Hope you'll get your device out this morning. Go down there to the corner where it says more, hit events, and you'll find all these scriptures that you need. That's in the Version Bible app, all right? So let's start out in James chapter 4 and verse number 1, and let's see what the half-brother Jesus has got to say about civil war. So again, keep in mind, this is 2,000 years old. The problem was obvious then, and it's obvious now. So he says, what is causing, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What, what is the source? What, what is the source? You know, one of the things that's really cool, when we go to Uganda, um, East Africa, we go to a little town, a medium-sized town, called Jinja. Jinja. And as we're coming into Jinja, um, over on our, our left is Lake Victoria with all this massness. And then we drive over this, this channel, I guess you would call it, that's, that's about 100 yards wide. And then there's a dam, and they release water from that dam, and then it's about 50 yards wide. Now, what makes that all significant is that is the source of the mighty Nile River. That's where it starts, right there. And at its beginning, the Nile River is, like I say, 50 yards across, if that wide. And as you know, it's, well, you may not know, it's the second largest or second longest river in the entire world by just a few miles. Uh, it's short. It's number two. Uh, the longest they finally figured out is the Amazon, okay? And then, like I say, the Nile is number two. But here's what's crazy. From that little beginning of 50 yards um, from Lake Victoria, it grows and grows and grows and flows for over 4,000 kilometers, ending up flowing north till it dumps into the sea up by Egypt. It's just crazy. What is small starts big. And that's what you've got to understand. You've got to understand, you know, when, when James says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? That is so important because quarrels and fights start small and get bigger. Civil wars are small and get bigger, okay? Civil wars in marriage start small and get bigger. Civil wars that tear families apart start small and get bigger. Civil wars that start in churches start small, and they always get bigger. So it's important we know how to deal with it. I thought it interesting, over in Galatians, the book of Galatians, you know, Paul talks to the Galatia church, and let me just read it to you real quick. You know, in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, um, For all the law, all the law, is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the whole law, Paul says, is fulfilled in loving your neighbor. But listen to what he says. But if you bite and devour one another, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And I thought this was so interesting. Because you see, we, we, have a, we have a little quarrel going on. 
Okay, got a little quarrel, just a little, little fussy going on, all right? And that's like divides. Paul says, be careful that you don't bite one another. You know, have you ever, have you ever been on a diet before? And, you know, there's a donut. And, and speaking your language. The little donut saying, eat me, eat me. And you go by it several times. But finally, you know what? I'll just have one bite. And you take that one bite, Tracy. And you had that one bite. And you set it down and it just shouts out, eat more of me, eat more of me. And you eat more of it, okay? And before long, you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. I ate the whole donut before. Well, that's how it starts. So, so these quarrels are like little bites, little bites, okay? But then it turns into fights. And before long, you eat the whole donut. And, and Paul goes as far as to say, you'll be careful that, that these little quarrels you have, the little misgivings that you have, don't grow and grow until you actually consume one another. Consume one another. We, we turn like into spiritual piranhas and we eat one another. Literally. Be careful that doesn't happen. So James says, so what's causing this, this nitpicking? What's causing these wars, these fights that break out among you? And then he says this. He, gives you, he answers the question. Don't they come from the evil, the evil desires at war within you? Don't, don't, these, don't these things come, these wars come from the evil desires, the evil wants that are living within you? You know, James wrote in James chapter 1 verse 14... He said this. So one, a person, a person is enticed by his own evil desire. So he's talking about temptation. And so like we're being like tempted, okay? And it all starts with this inner thing, these inner desires that say, I want it. I want it. I want it. And then look what happens. It goes on and says, you're enticed by your own evil desires. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, sin gives birth to death. I thought it was such an analogy. Birth to death, okay? So, so James says, you know, that's what happens, and so that's what's happening here. You know, what's causing these quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your evil desires? Don't it come from the fact that we want it a lot? See, and here's the deal. If there's that inner desire inside, it's going to slosh out. It's what is on the inside is going to come out eventually. We, we think, you know, they say as we get older... Our filter gets smaller. What, what means is, you know, when we're younger, we keep our mouth shut. And when we get older, we don't. We, we say things we never meant to be public. They just, bleh, they just fall out. They just fall. Can I have an amen? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Talking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, so that happens. That happens. And this war within, listen, if we don't deal with the war within, it's going to slosh out. It's going to splash on somebody that's nearby in your world. So James says, so where does this come from? Well, it comes from the evil desires that are within us, and they're at war within you, and then eventually the war spreads outside of you. Now, let's let Paul talk a little bit. Um, We're going to go back and let Paul talk from Romans chapter 7. This is a battle that Paul dealt with in his own life. Now, some people want to say that Paul, this is before Paul got saved, but theologically it just doesn't work. Paul is not writing about before he got saved. He's talking right now, right then in his life. And look what he says. It's quite amazing because it's the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 7, verse 22, Paul says this. I love God's law with all my heart. Now, who's going to argue with Paul? Anybody going to say, no, Paul, I don't think so. No, you go, well, man, Paul walks on water. You know, Paul's the great Apostle Paul. But what he says is, 
I love the Lord with all my heart. Now, there's a warning here. And you really don't know what he's going to say yet unless you've read ahead. Okay? But here's the warning. If it can happen to Paul, it can happen to you. If it can happen to Paul, it can happen to you. So Paul's saying, look, I'm a guy, I love the Word of God. And a lot of us today would say, you know what? I love the Word of God. I don't come to church because I have to. No one twists my arm to come to church. I come because I like to worship and I want to hear what God's Word's got to say for me today. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so Paul, you know, we all agree with Paul. I love the Word of God with all my heart. But, pause, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Paul said, oh, wait, wait. Yes, I love the Word of God with all my heart, but there's a war inside of me. Now, again, keep in mind, this isn't before he got saved. This is in his life right then. There's another power within me that's at war, and that's called the flesh. That's the old nature. It'd been cool if we totally eradicated the old nature when we're born again, but the bottom line is the old nature is there, is there in our lives. You know, some people, some people really, really believe, when you get saved, you don't sin anymore. Well, bud, y'all go ahead and form a church. There'll be one person. Oh, I'm sorry, there won't be any because Jesus is in heaven. No one's perfect, folks. Amen? No one's perfect. So, so Paul says, I've got this power. Okay. Well, what's the difference? Wait, 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 wait. Why become a Christian then if, if I've still got the old nature? Ah, he gives you the power to overcome the old nature. See, before you were saved, all there was was the old nature. and You just had to do whatever it said. But now when you trust Jesus Christ, you've got the power within you to be victorious over the old nature. The difference is there's a choice. And that choice is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life and because of the Holy Spirit that lives um, within you. That's the power of that, okay? Now, now here's the deal. Dwayne, how much power does the old flesh have? As much as you give it. How much power does the old nature have? As much as you give it. There's, There's like... A thousand illustrations about that. But, you know, one of them is, one of them is, you know, a guy had two dogs and the dogs would fight. And someone said, you know, what dog wins? Whichever dog I feed. Which, whatever dog I feed. Um, whatever dog I say stick them to is the one that wins. So, so you have the power to be victorious over the old nature, but you allow what power, it, you know, you give it. Okay? So how much power are you going to give it? This is the question. Are we going to surrender to Christ and give it no power? Or are we going to give it power? So Paul says, this war is raging, this another war, this power is within me, at war with my mind. Okay? He goes on. This power, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. So if I let it, the old nature can have its way. Yeah, you remember Flip Wilson? I remember this. Remember Flip Wilson? Yeah, were you old enough, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what Flip Wilson said? Yeah, yeah. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Well, guess what? See, Christians can't say that. Now listen to me. The devil can make you do nothing. I heard two. Let's say a little bit more. The devil can make you do nothing. You're going to have, listen, listen, listen. Be man enough and warm enough to own your own sin. Quit trying to blame the devil. When it comes to your sin, you own it. You own it. The old nature has only enough power as you give it. Okay? As you give it. So, so Paul says, listen, this power makes me a slave if I let it um, to the sin that is still within me. And then he says, Oh, what a miserable man I am. I am so... Listen, when there is civil war going on, we are a miserable people. You would think, you would think, as you're fighting the battle to get what you want, okay, that life would be good. It's not. It's not. 
The more you fight within and give, try to get what you want, the more miserable you become. So, let's look at our teaching point. The source of quarrels and fights, bickering and fighting, bickering and war, is the I universe. The I, well, what's the I universe? Okay. Well, you're familiar, and I hope there's no earth people here that believe that the earth is the center of the universe, although that illustrates it quite well. You know, back in the earlier days, they thought the earth was the center of the universe, and everything revolved around the earth. And slowly they figured out, the other way around, that the sun was the center of the universe, and everything revolved around the sun. Well, in the I universe, we live our lives in such a way, we do our marriages in such a way, we do our homes in such a way, we do our business in such a way, uh, we do church in such a way, okay, that we are the middle and everything must revolve around us, our way or the highway. Now, can you imagine? Yes, you can imagine. Can you imagine what a family looks like where people are saying, it's my way or the highway, I'm the center of the universe? Can, can you imagine what church looks like? Sure you can. Can you imagine what a business looks like? Sure you can. Can you imagine what a, oh, 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 what about a sports team? Can you imagine what a sports team looks like when the quarterback says it's all about me? It's all about me. Remember they say there's no I in team? There's no I in team? So in this, in this internal, this, this, this universe, okay, where coral and fights are, it's the I universe. And ironically, ironically, sin and pride both have I in its heart. Sin and pride, look at the words I highlight for you. The word sin has what in the middle? I. And so does pride. Both have I at its heart. And in the I universe, I is the center of the universe. It's all about me. It's all about what I Want, all right? Huge important. Now, now what's cool is in Isaiah 14, in Isaiah 14, most theologians agree that this is bigger than what the prophet was saying. That what we see in Isaiah 14 is the is the actual beginning of sin, the origin of sin, okay, and the original sinner, and it tells us what the sin is. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 14. He said this: You said in your heart, you said in your heart, and again, the prophet, the, the theologians believe the you there, okay, is Satan. You say in your heart, now look what he says. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. Um, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now if I counted right, five times in that scripture, the word I is used as a personal pronoun. And so what, what the deal is, is that Satan, if in fact this is Satan, again, most theologians agree it is, okay, that five times he says, it's all about me, God. It's all about me. And let me, oh, 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 listen, are you, are you listening? You need to hear this. When you live in the I universe, that means if you're the sinner, the sun's not. That's S-O-N. S-O-N. If you're the sinner of the universe, it means God is not. God is not. So we need to pay attention to that. Okay? So, so now what can we learn about the I universe? Okay? Let's look. First of all, the I universe causes us to whine and criticize. So the, the trademark, the trademark of the I universe. Say, Dwayne, do I have an I universe going on? Well, yeah, I tell you, you can tell by the way you whine and by the way you criticize. 
Now, two ladies a while back gave me a little plaque that hangs in my office at home. I like it. I love it. It sits above my desk, and it says, Thou shalt not whine. Because everybody knows I have a propensity to whine, okay? So, so here's the deal. You know you're living in the I universe by the amount you whine and the amount you criticize. See, when we whine, it's usually about me, me, me. I'm not getting my way. I want this. I want that. I, 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 I. And it causes us to whine. And then when we criticize, it's not about that. Now it's about you, 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 you. So here's what it breaks down. I'm not getting what I want, and it's your fault. I'm not getting what I want. You look to your husband and say, I'm not getting what I want, and it's your fault. The husband looks at the wife. I'm not getting what I want, and it's your fault. The parents look at the kids and say, we're not getting what we want. The kids look at the parents and say, we're not getting what I want. And guess whose fault it is? It's your fault. It's your fault. So if you're, if you're marked by that, okay, if your life is marked by whining about what you're not getting and criticizing others and blaming others, you live in the I universe. You live in the I universe. We become, and these are trademarks, we become envious. We become deceitful. We become defiant. And yes, we become merciless. You see the I in there? In the I universe, those are trademarks. Those are, if you will, fruit of our lives in the I universe. It goes a little bit further. The I universe results in things. There are, there are certain consequences, if you will, okay? The, the I universe, okay, is, is a, a situation at a time um, when we uh, criticize, when we, we have guilt, when we have fatigue, when we have pessimism, when we have hostility, and we have emptiness. So if those are trademarks, if you're experiencing those in your life, it could be that you're living in the I universe. Now, now I tell you what we know. Here's what we think. We think that, okay, if I had everything I wanted, life would be good. My oldest daughter sits right there, and when she's about 15 or 16 years old, we have a little saying that she agreed to. In fact, she said it, give me my way and it'll be okay. Well, a 16-year-old won't say that, right? Give me my way. Okay. And that's the I universe. That's the I universe. Just give me my way, and it will be okay. But it's not true. The I universe does end with guilt, fatigue, pessimism, hostility, and emptiness. And here's the deal. The I universe isn't life-giving. It's not. The I universe isn't life-giving. Rather, it's life Taking The I-universe, where you're at the middle of the world, the I-universe is a place where things die. Things die. You know, what happens when the sun goes out? It dies. Life dies. Everybody knows you can't live without the sun. Okay? It, when you take and replace, when you put in the middle of your universe, I, and you remove the sun, things die. Well, Dwayne... What dies? Things like families. Things like marriages. Relationships. Things like joy. Peace. Integrity. Character. When, when the sun is removed from the universe, things so you're starting, are you starting to see why this is such a big topic, why it's so important about civil war? And, and when we have, when it's displayed as the I universe, when yourself, we find yourself at the middle, 
Well, James goes on. He's not done. We go back to James in James chapter 4, verse 2. He says this. Listen. You want what you don't have. You want what you don't have. The, the me, me, me thing is, is I don't have what I want. Now, here's the deal. You could sum that up in one word. Can you guess what it is? Discontentment. Discontentment. I don't have what I want. I am discontented. Now, here's the deal. We think, if, again, if we had everything we wanted, okay, we would be happy, okay? Remember this. Write this down. We've used this phrase at least twice in the last couple of weeks. One is this. Jesus is enough. The world is never enough. Jesus is enough. The world is never enough. And when we lose our focus, I remember um, Jeremy talked a couple of weeks ago, or months ago, in our men's gathering. He talked about he lost his focus. And listen, when you lose your focus, when, when you take your eyes, when you get Jesus out of the universe and you put yourself in the middle, when you get your focus off of Jesus and put yourself in the middle, you become discontented. When we lose our focus, we become discontented. So, have you lost the focus of your marriage? Have you lost the focus of your family? Have you lost your focus in your church? In your relationship with Christ? Have you lost your focus on the things that matter? And if so, it'll be, you'll find it'll be marked by discontentment. You want, but you don't have. So if you, if you want and don't have, and if you lost your focus, you're not going to respond in a Jesus way. You're going to respond in a self way. So you scheme and kill to get it. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for me to be happy, whatever it takes for me to be contented, whatever it takes for me to be me, I'll scheme, scheme and I'll kill to get it. And this, this is really, this is hard. You know, 1 John 3.15 says it this way. Anyone, anyone who hates another brother, you know, it's all about you. You're, yours why I'm not happy. You are why I'm not happy. Point your finger at your wife, your husband, your children. Your boss, your employer, your business. You, know, you, anyone who hates another brother or sister, is really a murderer at heart. See, see, God's word equates hatred to murder. And trust me, in civil war, if it's not there, if you're still just fighting, nipping a little bit, it will turn to hate. It will turn to hate. And, and then God's word says, well, wait, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Now, here's the chaperoning. And you know, he says, John says, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life in them. It's, it's so, listen, it is so, you know, to give yourself away is so countercultural in today's culture. Well, God's word says to hate another person, another brother or sister is so countercultural. If you do it consistently, it means you're not part of the family. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I, I remember two years ago I got mad at you, Dwayne, and I hated you just for, for a time. I'm not talking about that. But when you have a lifestyle of hate, whether a person's skin color, economic status, position, or whatever, and you find yourself hating them, John said, you be careful. You need to evaluate, you need to evaluate what you got. Because you might have religion and not a relationship. You may have church and not Christ. You may have something besides the real deal. He goes on in verse 2, the second part. He goes, you know, 
you are jealous of what others have. You're jealous of what others have. Now, I guess somewhere in Russia during the communist days, their goal was to make everybody on the same level playing field, supposedly. You know, it's funny, those in power had power. But the average person went down to the store and got free bread, and so did the rich person got free bread. Remember those fairy tale days? Well, listen, this in the church, others are gonna have more than you. Others are gonna have less than you. It's not a quote level playing field. Get used to it. If God chooses to bless someone, and this way, and God chooses to bless someone else another way, or you another way, be cool with it. Don't be jealous of other people. Don't be jealous. It's like, you know, if, 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 if my brother Brent's got that 67 Camaro, what? 69, nice orange. What if I've always wanted a red, an orange Camaro, 69? 327? Gosh, 350, really? What if I always want? I say, you know, it's not fair. Brent's got that car. It's not fair. What's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? James says, whoa, whoa, whoa! Listen, don't be jealous. You know, you're jealous because others, what others have. Listen, be grateful for what you do have. I got a 2015 Volkswagen Jetta. Be grateful for what I've got. How, what's your mileage on your orange Camaro? About eight miles a gallon. <laughs> Yeah, but see, his Camaro gets eight miles a gallon. My Volkswagen gets 44. <laughs> Hello, yeah. Okay, so, so don't be jealous from what others have. Listen, you, you can't get, you're, you're, you're jealous and you can't get it. So what do you do? You, you fight and wage war. I wanted that position in the church. I wanted this to happen in the church. I want this to happen in my marriage. I want him to do this or her to do that. I want my kids to do this. And we fight and wage war. To get it from them. See, that's why countries fight. Countries fight to get. And James says, that's exactly what you're doing. Let's go back and focus on that word jealousy. You are jealous of what others have. I found this coolest verse tucked away in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, the second part. Here's what it says. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Jealousy is like cancer in the in the bone. So I checked it out, okay? One of the most painful kinds of cancer, of all the cancers, is bone cancer. I've asked people, and they'll tell me that when you have bone cancer, it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, bone pain is described as aching, throbbing, stabbing, and excruciating. I remember several years ago, a lot of years ago, um, we were having a meeting to find a worship leader as a search committee. And we were sitting in the choir room, the old choir room. And we were sitting there, and we were around the table. And my wife comes in, and she's holding her arm like this. And she is white as a sheet, and she is sobbing in pain. And I said, what has happened? She said, I fell and tripped over The light was out, and she tripped and fell over a parking block in the darkness and broke her elbow. And she is sobbing with pain. Okay? Now listen, this woman has had three babies with minimal or no medicine. She has lived with me for 45 years. She knows pain. She knows pain. All right? And she told me, she will tell you now, she doesn't see pain the same way anymore. 
She has less of a tolerance for pain than she did before the accident. Why? The pain was so excruciating. Okay? So, so jealousy, so jealousy, you are jealous. There's no greater pain than bone pain. And so it is with jealousy and with sin. We've got to understand that when we allow this civil war to go on in our lives, it's a painful deal. It's a, listen, ultimately, it's a painful deal for you. But it's a painful deal for those who are around you. Who are around you. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. So, in Psalm 32, verse 3, you know this story. You just don't know you know this story. Um, David says, for when I kept silent. What's that about, Dave? Well, here's the deal. One day, you know, everybody else out fighting the bad guys. And David, King David decided to stay um, in town. And he was up on the roof. Upon the roof. Best I've got, folks. Okay? So, uh, so he's up on the roof. And he, what does he see? He sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Okay? At that moment, David declares war on Uriah. Who's Uriah? Oh, that'd be Bathsheba's husband, who was out fighting, who had a reputation of being one of David's most faithful guards, warriors. So, so he declares war on Uriah and sends for Bathsheba and has an affair with her. So, so while this is going on, okay, during this time when David was trying to keep it all hush-hush, okay, when I kept silent, look what he says. My bones wasted away through my groaning. My bones voiced away through my groaning all day long. He says, it's like, it's like the time, Terry, when I broke my arm. It's like the time I slipped and fell and broke my leg. That pain, that pain was so intense and so bad. He said, it was just like that. For day and night, he says, for day and night, relentless, relentless. Day and night, your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. During this time of civil war, when I was in full-blown rebellion against God, and I was in full-blown rebellion against Uriah, during that time, he says, I shriveled up. I shriveled up like a plant in the desert. And here, there's Brent's new word, Salah. Salah. Remember? What do you think of that? What do you think about that? It's something we better think about. Because you see, civil war is something we deal with. It's a reality check we deal with. He goes on in verse number two, the third part, and says this. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, the go-to thing is supposed to be, y'all do know this, don't you? The go-to thing is prayer. You know, the song, you know, take it to the Lord in prayer. So, so the go-to thing for us to do when we have a need in our life, and even sometimes our wants, there's no guarantee on the wants, okay? But we go to God and say, hey, God, this is what I want. But this wasn't an option in this case because of the civil war that was going on, there was no doubt that this person, the civil war person, is wrong. Okay? So what would normally be a channel of blessing is now a closed door. You know, I looked up this morning in, in the book of Psalms, and it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. So what would normally be an option to go to God and say, God, you know, within your will, or God, please. Or God, I want. Forget your will. I want it. Sorry. It's a closed door. 
because of the sin, the civil war, that's going on. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And the reason you don't ask God for it is you know, well, the store's closed. Martin Luther said this, the less I pray, the harder it gets. I don't know if it is prayer or it is the thing you're trying to get. I don't know which one it is. But he says, the less I pray, the harder it gets. Well, then verse number 3 of James chapter 4. He says, even when you do ask. So finally, finally in desperation, you're at civil war and, and you're desperate. I want this so bad. I want this so bad. I want this so bad. So you're at civil war. And so you finally say, I'll just pray about it. I'm going to pray anyway. James says, even when you ask, you don't get it. Because your motives are all wrong. It's not, yeah, I can hear it now. If you're at civil, trust me, if you're in the middle of the universe and God's somewhere out here and, and you're, you say, well, I'll pray about it, you know, and God doesn't answer your prayer, you're in such a mess, you go, just like God, just like Him, the one time, woo the one time I ask Him for something and all I get is a no. There's a reason your prayers are wrong because your motives are wrong. In fact, He goes further and says this, you only want what will give you pleasure. You're only asking because you're at the center of your universe. And in the center of your eye universe, you're all that matters. Oops. God doesn't agree with that. He says, I'm the center of the universe, not you. It's helpful, I hope. It's helpful, I hope. So here's our, here's our quote. You know, you can't live wrong and pray right. You can't live wrong and pray right. It just doesn't work. If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me, he says. Well, let's quickly, let's let Paul talk a little bit more. Okay, so Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Okay, wretched man that I am. And trust me, when you're in civil war, it's a wretched situation. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? What hope is there in this civil war? I'm so miserable. I'm so filled with guilt. I'm so filled with shame. Oh, wretched man, who can help me? Who can deliver me from this body of death? And guess what the answer is? It's Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This sounds so preachery, Nikki, I almost don't want to say it. But it's true. Jesus is the answer. He, he's the answer when you're on the attack side of, when someone's attacking you because you've got something and they want it, Jesus is the answer. And he's answered for that longing in your soul when you're so consumed because you're the middle of the universe and you're just so consumed with me, 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 and I want, I want, and I want. He's the answer. The deliverance comes through Jesus Christ. Not church. I need to make that clear. I think some of y'all think that because you come and sit in a blue chair on Sunday, that's supposed to be a life-changing experience. Hmm. The life-changing experience is what you do with what you hear. The life-changing experience is what you do when you sing. See, it's not just showing up. It's when God shows up. And letting God show up in your life. Oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me? Well, give me a couple more minutes. I just want to read Philippians chapter chapter 2, verse 3. 
Because Jesus is the answer. And what does it look like when we allow Jesus to be the answer? Well, if, if we're saying, okay, Jesus, what do you want? Well, you know, I, I want to get out of this war. Now, I, want you, I want you to end the war in my life. What does it look like? Well, this is Paul writing, but again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, don't be selfish. Just understand, you are not the middle of the universe. The sun, and by the way, your wife is not the middle of the universe. Your kids are not the middle of the universe. Nothing else is the middle of the universe. The true middle of the universe is the sun. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so don't be selfish. Let Jesus be Jesus. Does that make sense? Now again, not, don't worry about keeping rules. Don't worry about you know, how much you come to church. Let Jesus be Jesus. Those things may fall in the line, but let Jesus be Jesus. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not going to go out and buy a 1969 orange 350 Camaro. I don't need that to feel equal with my brother. He's my brother. I bet my Masonic to take you anyway. <laughs> don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Hum- humility says, God, I need you. God, I need you. Think of others as better than yourselves. Oh, wait, all of a sudden you get this. So, so, so you go to your wife and you say, Honey, I want you to know something. I'm putting you first. I've got to tell a story. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, probably 15 years ago, we were doing an Andy Stanley bit, uh, series in Sunday school. And it's called The Small Eye. And Andy talked about big eye and small eye. And in a marriage, we should be, all be small eyes. The husband should be a small eye, and the uh, wife should be a small eye. So Judy, 15 years ago, brought me a small eye, chrome small eye. And for the last 15 years, it's hung in my mirror, in my car. And it reminds me of the day when she said, Dwayne, in this marriage, you're more important than me. And I need to tell you something. She lives that. She lives that. So, so, so count others better than yourself. Uh, don't, don't look. Don't look out for your only, for your own interest. I love this because, because Paul didn't say, just discount yourself. He says, no, no, no. He says, just don't look out only for your own interest, but rather take an interest in others too. And all of a sudden, the peacemaker, the peace broker, becomes the center of the universe and wars over. So if you're here today, we didn't get a lot to this, but maybe you find yourself at war with God. The Bible makes it pretty clear that's scriptural. We find ourselves at war with God. And God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to, to die for us on the cross. And then he said this, that if you believe that and believe in him and turn from your sin, you can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So today, God wants you to have the peace with him. The peace with him. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we would love for you to come and say, okay, Dwayne, I want to know how I can have peace with God because i got a feeling of war. And we would love to share with you how you can have that peace. A chunk of us have already done that. A whole bunch of us. You Facebook folks. All you Facebook folks have done this. Those of us on the radio, you've done that. But let me ask you a question. Who's the center of the universe? Is it you or the sun? 
Is it you or the sun? And the civil war will end when it's no longer you at the middle. When you're willing to let Jesus be the center, the war's over. Are you willing to let him be the center? We're going to have the altar open for prayer. If you want to come down and pray, you can pray right there where you're at. But honestly, ask that question. God, in my universe, who's the middle? Who is the middle? And then make Jesus Christ that middle. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you a whole lot for the privilege of sharing this truth today. And I believe it. God, I know I wrestle with this in my life. Father, we make jokes about the whining, but the truth is, Father, too often it's about me. And I forget it should be about you and about others. Help us, Lord, to deal with that today. Help us to deal with that today. My friend Donnie Billman prays and says, Lord, trouble them. Father, I'm asking you to trouble us about this. Father, marriages will be stronger. Families will be stronger. Relationships will be stronger. Churches will be stronger. Trouble us, Lord, for this truth. Father, if there's someone listening on Facebook or on the radio, or perhaps in this room who have never put their faith and trust in you. Oh, let today be today. Let the war between you and them come to an end with their forgiveness and your grace. We give that to you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.